Welcome to Slapshot Podcast, episode number 24. I am your host, Chris Ramirez. Thank you for joining me again. It's good to be back. It's good to be talking hockey as we approach. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are approaching the return to hockey. We have a schedule. We have everything planned out. We know when it's coming back. Mark your calendars, folks. August 1st is going to be a busy day in the NHL. So, yeah, there is all-day hockey, and I am excited about that. Um, look, man, it's it's been a while. Um, I just, I can't wait. I can't, I can't wait. Hockey starts at uh, 12 o'clock Eastern. And just runs all day for like six days in a row, which is something that makes me makes me happy on the inside. It makes me it it just it fills my heart with joy, and that's that's exactly what I that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I need. I need all day hockey for like however long you know this needs to go on for. So that. That's just something I'm excited for. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I, just, I don't know what to say. I'm just, like I said, I'm so I'm so happy that hockey's coming back. Um, and I'm excited to watch hockey all day for as long as, for as long as possible. For as long as, until my eyes hurt, um, I'm just... Just excited for hockey to be back. So yeah, today on the podcast, we're going to look a little bit about, uh, well, we're going to talk a little bit about the players who are have decided to opt out. So on the last uh, episode of the podcast, we talked about the NHL CBA. Um, that's been ratified. It's been signed. It's sealed. It's delivered. We no longer have to talk about that, which makes me extremely happy. There's a large part of me that um, is is just happy. It's a large part of me that is thinking about how much I don't have to talk about the CBA because that's honestly, it's something that I just wish would go away, but it, it, it is. We don't have to talk about it. So there are players who have decided that they um, do not want to return. And the league said that they would not penalize them. They could absolutely say, no, I don't want to come back. Uh, I don't want to do this or whatnot. So we're going to go uh, through some of the players who have decided they're not going to return. And again, every player has their reasons, right? Whether it's family, whether it's personal. We, I expected there would be some players who would say no, and we got those players, right? There's, there weren't that many either, less than, let's say, baseball. Um, but yeah, so let's go through a couple of players here that have this, who have officially said they're not coming back. Let's start with uh, the first player who announced it was Travis Hamannick of the Calgary Flames. Um, you know, he, for more family reasons, he's decided to not come back, right? Um, tough blow to Calgary, maybe, but they still have a really good blue line. So I think the loss is minor in that case, but still, you know, he brings a whole bunch, he brings a whole bunch of block shots to the team and whatnot. Definitely a, a guy that the flames could have used, but he's decided he's not going to return for the rest of the season, which is fine. Um, Carl Alsner has decided he's going to opt out. Um, I mean, look, Carl Alsner was playing in the AHL for a long period of time during this season and last season as well. Would he have played much with Montreal Canes? Probably not. Would he have played maybe here and there? Uh, I expect Montreal to not make it past the first round. So the maximum games he could have played would be five, assuming he played them all. So I guess in his scenario, if you're going to be you know locked up in a hotel and whatnot in Toronto and not being able to see your family and what and whatnot, but the odds of you playing are minimal, why not just say, look, I'm not coming back and you know, he can stay home with his family and that's it, right? He still has two more seasons left on his contract, so it's not like he's going anywhere anyway. So that is that. Uh, Mike Green, right? Mike Green of the Edmonton Oilers, who's traded there at the deadline. He has opted out for <laughs> he has opted out of the 2020 uh, return to play, 
which I guess shouldn't shock anybody, right? I mean, Mike Green has dealt with a whole mess of injuries for who knows how long now. Um, like I said, not really surprised that Mike Green said no. I think maybe this is for the best for him as well, um, right? He's got a family as well. He's, that's pretty much the reasons why. But, I mean, if if you all remember, I think he was the one who got, like, the staff infection when he was with Detroit and missed, like, the remainder of the season. So it wouldn't shock me. Um, like, I wouldn't be... If, if I'm Mike Green, and like I said, I'm, I'm sure he's not thinking it, but the way I'm looking at this, Mike Green is, I mean, is he injury-prone? Kind of. I would say he is. So he would be the most likely player to get sick or catch coronavirus or something from, I don't know, just picking up a knife or a fork. <laughs> so he's not coming back. Uh, a couple of other players that have announced right? Uh, Steve Camper of the Boston Bruins. Um, again, his wife has, uh, you know, has a heart condition so obviously uh you know he he's played 10 games with the bruins this season i guess same thing easier decision maybe for him to take right with his heart with his wife's um, heart condition um maybe wanting to spend more time with her and whatnot make sure that she stays safe make sure that he doesn't bring anything home you know completely understand that some other players here roman polak has said he's not um uh, so, I mean, look, that's fine. Sven Barchi as well has said that he's not uh, coming back. I mean, again, same thing. He has spent uh, most of the 2019-20 season in the AHL. So, again, not a hard decision. Uh, so, yeah, those are the players who are not returning. They had until 5 o'clock, not the Monday that passed, depending on when you're listening to this, not the Monday that just passed, the one before that, to... Um, tell their teams that they did not want to participate or they did not want to return. And like I said, that's a, you know, I expected some players to say, look, I'm I'm not going to partake. We didn't see any big name players opt out. So I think the consensus here from the players is they feel that the, you know, the hub cities and the way that it's being handled and everything, they feel like they're protected. And they feel like this is the best way for them to, you know, finish the playoffs or we'll start the playoffs finish the season right and award a stanley cup at whenever it's going to be awarded right so that to me makes the most amount of sense and like i said i'm, I'm not shocked that there were players who said no that they don't want to return obviously every player wants to win the stanley cup but this is a different situation right your health comes before everything these players decided they're going to do that they're going to protect themselves. They're going to protect the people that they love. They didn't see the the reason to do this. And I don't think these players should be shunned upon. I don't think anybody should criticize them. This was something that was negotiated in the CBA. It was something that they were allowed to exercise. They exercised their rights. They exercised their freedoms. And look, man, I'm sure they're, they're still part of the team, right? These are players who are still, you know, it sucks that they're not there, but... I understand why they wouldn't want to be there either. So, you know, no shame to those players. So, yeah, that's that. Uh, moving on, we're going to look at NHL awards today. That's right. So the NHL has, um, they had until, well, today, Tuesday, to announce, you know, the nominees for most of their trophies. So I wait. That's why I waited so long so I could do the podcast. I wanted everything to be done. Know who's being nominated for what, so I can give you my hot takes on who should be winning what. Now I'm going to give you my opinion, and there it, it, it might be wrong, and I'm going to explain why. Right, these are players that I think should win. Now I'm not going to go with the consensus. I'm not going to go with, you know, this. I, I looked at the players who were nominated, and in some categories, I'm like, okay, well, you just went with you know points, which is what the league uses to determine, apparently, if a player is good or not, right? Points. You have the most points and whatnot, blah, 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 blah. Now, there are some players on lists that are more popular than others, so I expect the popular players to win, right? This is a popularity contest, right? It's usually not the best player who wins it or the most complete player. It's a popularity contest. Let's all understand that, right? The Writers Association, you know, 
they make their picks, they do their votes and whatnot. The same people show up in the same categories. Anyways, we're not going to get into that. We're going to talk about, you know, who I think should be winning it. Let's start with, let's start with some, uh, I mean, okay, let's start with the Hart Trophy, okay? Because this one kind of gets, this one kind of gets, I guess, forgotten. And you can understand this, again, so the play, the Professional Hockey Writers Association, they're the one who just picks the finalists for the heart. They get a voting and they pick players from one to, I think it's five. And so let's understand how the heart trophy works. Okay, The heart trophy is awarded to the player deemed to be the most valuable to his team. Now, there are some theories that if your team doesn't make the playoffs... How can this player be the most valuable player to your team? And the way I look at this is I I used to dance on the line of saying, hey, you have to be a playoff team in order to win the Hart Trophy. And I've since softened that stance quite a bit. Okay. Because, I mean, okay, let me see how I can explain this properly. Okay. To me, in my mind, if I, the way I see the Hart Trophy being awarded, if I took that player out of the equation, would this team still be... A playoff team and that's how most people look at it right if you're still a playoff team without this player are you valuable right and that's where a lot of people finish now i've softened that stance because i looked at it and said well if you take out x player from this team how big of a loss is it to them how much did this player contribute to his team getting you know maybe close to the playoffs or even at there right if you took away let's say Connor mcdavid from the edmonton oilers you know are the edmonton oilers maybe close to a playoff team or do they end up being like the Detroit Red Wings who are, you know, an absolute dumpster fire of a team, right? You can miss the playoffs even though you have good players on a team. But, you know, this is a team sport, right? One player doesn't make it, but having that type of player on your team that can make the difference to you being close and you not being anywhere near it, to me, like I said, I've softened my stance there. And I think the rest of the world should. Okay. So the nominees for the Hart Trophy are Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, and Artemi Panarin. Now, those are three excellent nominees in my mind. Okay, Now, in my mind, okay, all three of these players, by the way, deserve to be there. Like, I'm, I'm not going to question them. Those are three excellent players to choose from. You could have gone with a whole bunch of other players as well. I mean, you know, Pasternak could have been picked there as well, right? And I, I wouldn't have had a problem with that. There's other players who could have been there as well. And I would have said, okay, that makes sense, right? These are three good ones. In my mind, okay, I'm giving the Hart Trophy to Panarin. There's multitude of reasons why. We can break this down. It's going to end up going to McKinnon. And now there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Nathan McKinnon has earned it. He would be an excellent winner of the Hart, can, of the Hart Trophy, okay? He absolutely would. And McKinnon did a lot... A lot of great things. Here's why I think he wins the Hart Trophy. First of all, again, if your team makes the playoffs, I mean, that's a pretty good sign that you've done pretty well, right? Okay. Here's also why I look at Now, the Colorado Avalanche had to deal with some injuries, right? McKinnon played 69 games this season, which I think is the maximum, right? I, I don't think he missed a game. So that's pretty good, right? Landis Cog missed some time due to injury. Same thing with Rantanen. He missed some time due to injury. So... You know, he was missing some pieces of that big line. That being said, okay, McKinnon did have 93 points on his team, okay? The second closest player to him is Kale McCarr, okay, who had 50. Nathan McKinnon had 33 more points than the next closest player on his team. Like, that's, he is, he was above and beyond a certain level. That's how important he was to his team. Not to mention... He took he's he he took 318 shots this season. Okay. He played over 21 minutes a game, shooting 11%. These are all elite numbers. He took 12 minutes in penalties. Finished a plus 13 if you care about the plus minus stat. Right? He had 62 even strength points. Like he's done a lot of good things here. He was he was the most valuable player to his team. I do not believe for a moment. That the Colorado Avalanche, if you took McKinnon out of it, 
No knock whatsoever on players like Gabriel Aniskog and Miko Rantanen. None whatsoever. Okay? I don't think those players would have been able to carry Colorado to where they are. And again, not a knock on Nazem Kadri either. I don't think he fills into the top center position and does, you know, he's, he's not Nathan McKinnon. So Nathan McKinnon, in my mind, is definitely one of the most complete players on his team. So I can see why he would win it. Again, the reason why I look at Panarin in this case is... First of all, Panarin's a winger. I think that's a different thing, right? A, a, a centerman that is the most valuable player to his team, I understand that. And it, again, it makes sense, but understand where it went. Artemi Panarin is in the first year with his new team, okay? He's a winger. He's coming over from Columbus. How does he fit in? How does he do everything? You know, it is what it is here. Um... Panarin led his team as well. He had 20 more points than the next closest player to him, which was Mika Zibanejad. Okay, they played. Mika Zibanejad played less games. I, you know, he he was hurt a little bit. Panarin as well played the most amount of games possible. Um, right, Panarin is more in my mind a passer. I think he opens up the game. He makes everybody on his team better. I truly believe that. I think he had a lot to do with Ryan Strom having a really good season. I think he had a lot to do with that team being real good. Okay, I really do. He had 25 even strength goals. Of his 32, 25 of them came at even strength. So he's not just a guy who's just clapping bombs on the power play. Okay, 71 of his 95 points came at even strength. That's a huge, huge number. Huge. So that, to me, weighs in. Are you scoring because, you know, is it important to score on the man advantage? Absolutely. But doing it five on five is an elite level. He finished a plus 36, by the way. Okay, Again, if you care about the stupid plus minus stat, when he's on the ice, okay, the Rangers are scoring goals and they're not giving up many goals, which is kind of important here, right? It's really kind of important. He, you know, if you... Take into consideration Mika Zibanejad, again, if you care about the stat, a plus nine. There's a huge gap. I know sometimes they didn't play together. They played the power play together, blah, 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 blah. But I think he helped Zibanejad as well get to where he needs to be. I really do. I think he helped him. Zibanejad is shooting 19% this season. I think that's a little bit high for him. I think there's some regression coming back. But Artemi Panarin made that entire Rangers team that, let's not forget, this is supposed to be a rebuilding team. Okay, this is supposed to be a team that's rebuilding. They're not supposed to be this good. I don't think anybody thought they would be where they should be. So I'm looking at this team and I say, hey, if you take Artemi Panarin out of the question completely, if you take him out, I don't think the Rangers are even close to a playoff team. I don't even think, I don't think they're Detroit bad, but they're definitely not anywhere near the conversation. I think Artemi Panarin has that much skill. He is a very skilled player. He is. And I'm not, like I said, I am not going to knock Mika Zibanejad here. I think he has earned, you know, he scored 41 goals this season. He's done something right. I think he's a really good player. I think he's fitting into that system pretty well. Okay. But Artemi Panarin is not playing with the creme de la creme of the elite, right? It's not like he's playing with a Connor McDavid. He he is the part, and like I said, he's a winger here as well. Usually a lot of that play is facilitated through a centerman. That's why a lot of centermen win it. He, he's a winger and he's doing what he needs to do. In my mind, it's it's Artemi Panarin that that should win this. It's it's not going to. Because like I said, McKinnon had a great season. I'll, I'll give him to that. But I would give it to Panarin. And look, I'm not going to knock Leon Dreisaitl here either, okay? Like I said, all any one of these guys can win it, and I would be perfectly fine saying, okay, fine. Like, Leon Dreisaitl led the league in points. He had 110 points. No player had more points than Leon Dreisaitl. Connor McDavid had 97. He's the next closest, okay? Dreisaitl had 13 more points than the next closest person who happens to be his teammate. McDavid played less games. That's fine. I understand it. I mean, there's so many things that Leon Dreisaitl does right. There's so many. He had 27 even strength goals, right? Of his 43. He had 10 game-winning goals. He was shooting 19%. 
I criticized them at the beginning of the season, right? So when I was doing, right, for the Fantasy Alarm, when I was writing players who I thought were going to bust or not return value based on their average draft position, I kind of knocked a little bit Leon Dreisaitl. Dreisaitl had, let me check here, his shooting percentage was over 20% last season, if I remember correctly here. Let me just check here. Yes, so he finished last season, he scored 50 goals, and he had a 21% shooting percentage on 231 shots and i was like there's no way he's going to repeat this right in the previous years he had 14 16 and 12 i'm like he's he's not going to hit 20 like nobody thought 21 was going to happen when it did happen i said man there's going to be some regression he's probably going to you know regress down to 16 15 if he's taking the same amount of shots he's not getting 50 goals 40 might be tough and then what did he do he came back scored 43 goals at 110 points basically said you know screw you chris what the hell are you talking about which is fine i have no idea what i'm talking about either right he played 71 games this season he did a whole lot of great things he is elite he has played yes he played with Connor mcdavid at times there were times where he did not play with him as well i think people thought maybe dry was you know the guy who compliments Connor mcdavid really well i think leon dry is an elite player regardless of you know the fact that Connor mcdavid is there do those two make each other better absolutely and that's fine by the way you can have players elite players who play together who make each other better right the Sidney crosby's and the evgeny malkins that play together you know both players are great standing alone and when you put them together it's just it's complete chaos which is why edmonton's power play this season was almost hitting 30 percent. it's absolutely crazy when you have these two players on the ice together right McDavid and Dreisaitl, I don't understand how you slow them down. You can't really. You just got to like hope that they don't obliterate you. And they do. <laughs> I mean, they they absolutely just destroy everything that's in front of you. And Leon, like I said, Leon Dreisaitl stands by himself. I know in the voting, despite him getting 110 points, people are going to say, yeah, but he had McDavid. And that's fine. He's allowed to have McDavid. He's allowed to it. Yes, McDavid is not on the same level as you know other players. He's to me, he's the best player in the NHL. Connor McDavid, that's absolutely. And I could, you know, Nathan McKinnon has you know Miko Rantanen, let's say here, and you know Artemi Panarin has Mika Zibanejad, and people are gonna say, yeah, but it's not the same as having a Connor McDavid. That's fine. I think that's the part that hurts. Leon Dreisaitl the most here. People are going to knock him because they think that the Connor McDavid effect is what brings him here. And that's not it, by the way. That's not it. I think he's a good player in himself. I think he should one day win this award. I think it's going to take him some time because people are going to say, oh, you got Connor McDavid next to you and that's what's bringing you there. But like I said, any three of these players can win it. My pick is definitely going to Artemi Panarin, but pretty pretty sure that that's not that's not what's going to happen there it's going to be you know it's going to be Connor mcdavid not Connor mcdavid sorry it's going to be nathan mckinnon who wins it and again that's fine i'm not knocking it he's allowed to win it good for him let's move on so we talked about the heart we're going to talk about the norris trophy here now this trophy is awarded to the best defenseman, as you already know. And we have a hard time determining what is the best defenseman in the NHL. Because the defenseman is supposed to be the player who best plays his position. Now, do you calculate that as, you know, defenseman? Now there are a lot of fancy stats, right? Shot suppression, block shots, you know, defenseman control. You can, you know, there, there's all kinds of stuff. So basically the NHL went with John Carlson, Victor Hedman, and Roman Yossi. And I said, okay, well, those are, you know... The good picks, I guess. And then I went and I saw which three defensemen, you know, where do they finish in points? And oh, look, it's one, two, three. Shocking, right? John Carlson led all defensemen in points. Roman Yossi was a close second. Victor Hedman finished third. So the NHL said, okay, those are the best defensemen because they work with points. Again, is a defenseman great because he has a lot of points? Not really, right? They're terrible defensemen defensively. Then they kind of don't play. Anyways, that's a whole other different conversation. I'm going to look at these three. Now, in my book here, I'm going to give it to Roman Yossi. Okay? I expect John Carlson to win it. Again, because he's the more popular vote of it. And again, to his credit, he's he's done what he's needed to do 
to earn it. Okay, he had 75 points this season. John Carlson had produced over a point per game. He led the Washington Capitals in points. Just kind of hard to do, <laughs> right? He was on a whole other level. Okay, and he still had, by the way, like he scored 15 goals. 13 of them came at even strength. So he wasn't just clapping bombs on the power play, right? That's Ovechkin's job. Did he pick up, you know, a lot of points playing with Ovechkin? Probably that helps, right? John Carlson also had six game-winning goals, which is a lot. He was a plus 12 as well on a team that, you know, gives up a lot of goals. Anyways, John Carlson is going to take it. I am giving it to Roman Yossi. Now, there's a couple of reasons. A, the Washington Capitals had the second-best offense in the league. Okay? When you have the second-best offense in the league, you're going to get a lot of points. And obviously, like I said, when you play with Ovechkin, you're just clapping bombs from the office. Yeah, you're bound to pick up a lot of assists when that happens, right? Now, if I look at the Nashville Predators, the Nashville Predators, the Nashville Predators were a league average in goals for per game. Now, Roman Yossi had 65 points. Okay, No other Predator had more than 50 points. Except for Yossi. So Yossi leads his team in points. Okay. Philip Forsberg was the next closest, had 48. The Predators are not a great offensive team, and yet Roman Yossi is out here. You know, he scored 16 goals. Again, 12 of them are at even strength. He finished a plus 22 on a team that struggled a lot. Okay. He had 260 shots on goal. Like, that is a ton of shots a ton 260 john carlson had 180 something okay 260 that is seventh in the nhl by the way if you're looking at it patrick kane at 275 brady kachuk of the ottawa center said 259 roman yossi's a defenseman his job is to defend first he was out there nailing pucks brett burns is next he's at 225 and you know he didn't have the same season that we're used to 260 shots and he probably would have had more had the season finished absolutely could he have gotten to could he have gotten to 300 shots as a defenseman i mean it's a stretch but it's damn well possible Roman Yossi played the third most minutes per game. Thomas Shabbat played a stupid amount of minutes. He played 26 minutes per game on average. Okay, Drew Doughty played 25-49. Okay, Roman Yossi at 25-47. John Carlson played a minute less. He was 10th. Not that that's a problem. Again, doesn't matter. It's not a big thing. But Roman Yossi was on the ice a lot. A lot. On a team that struggled. I'm giving him that award, man. Absolutely, I'm giving him that award. There's no reason that I wouldn't. He was really, really good. And he might get overlooked. And that... Is an absolute shame. He should not. He's the winner in my book. It's going to go to John Carlson just because. Right? But I would give it to him. I would give it to Roman Yossi. You know, Victor Hedman was mentioned in the conversation. That's fine. He played on a team that dominated a little bit, right? He had 55 points, plus 27, you know. He did what he needed to do. He had 155 shots, played 24 minutes. And, I, you know, he was good. But, again, I feel like he's going to, you know, was he the best defenseman in the league? If you're looking at it in terms of points, obviously not. There's some other defensemen I thought could have earned it. But, hey, my vote goes to Roman Yossi. I'm standing by it. I think it was a good pick. Let's keep going here, okay? Um, we're going to talk about the Calder Trophy. So awarded to the best rookie. So Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, Dominic Kubelik are nominated. So those are one, two, three in terms of points for rookies. Okay. These are all three great picks, by the way. Okay. I know, you know, you could have gone either way here. You could have, you know, could have been some other players who were nominated. 
I have no problem with these three players. It's a two-horse race here between Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr. I am not going to take anything away from Dominic Kubalik, who, by the way, scored 30 goals this season. Okay, He scored 30 goals. Like, that's pretty good, bro. Dennis Gurionov had 20. Victor Olofsson had 20. He had 10 more goals than the next closest rookie to him. Okay, this is a, a you know, Kubalik's 24, by the way. He's he's not, you know, this isn't his first, you know, he's not a rookie. Well, I mean, yes, it's not like he's 20 is what I'm saying. Okay, this is a kid who, you know, drafted in 2013 by the Kings. Just, you know, super late, 191st overall. Kid comes out of nowhere and starts scoring goals and stuff. He had 30 goals. He had 46 points. 30 of them were goals, you know. Of those 30 goals, only four came on the player on the power play. So he's scoring goals at even strength. He shot 19% this season. That's the part that I'm like, man, is he going to be able to keep that up? I don't think so. But it's fine. To me, no problem with him being in the conversation. Now, between Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr, I'm going to give it to Kale McCarr. McCarr is, an ex- McCarr is explosive, man. When you watch this kid skate, Oh, boy. He is good. He is very, very good. Again, I don't want to take anything away from Quinn Hughes because he deserves it. He's done what he needs to do. But to me, I'm definitely giving it to Kale McCarr. I have to. He's on a whole other level, man. He's on a whole other level. In my books, he's on a whole other level. And it's not that Quinn Hughes wasn't good. Again, if you count the fancy stats or or if you look at other, you know, different numbers. If you care about the plus minus again, you know, Quinn Hughes was a minus 10, Kale McCarr was a plus 12. You know, penalty minutes, he had 12, Quinn Hughes had 22, it doesn't matter. You know, four game winning goals, Kale McCarr. They both played over 21 minutes a night. To me, it's just McCarr played 57 games. So he played 11 less games than Quinn Hughes. He scored 12 more goals. He finished with three less points. Okay, If they both play an even amount of games, I think McCarr finishes with more points. Again, points is not the only thing here that matters. Okay, Not the only thing that matters here. But that's how they're going to vote. So let's live with that in its sense, right? I just think I just think Kale McCarr is more important to the Colorado Avalanche than Quinn Hughes is to the Vancouver Canucks at this exact moment. At this exact moment. I think that's the case. And look, man, those are gonna they are gonna be two really good defensemen for a very, very long time. Those are, you know. Both teams should be ecstatic to have these players, right? And, I mean, I'll give it, like I said, I are they a bad team, the Vancouver Canucks? No, but they have, you know, pieces on defense that make them a little bit better, you know? Alex Sander-Edler is there. That definitely helps, you know? Tyler Myers is not what he was, but, I mean, he's still there. Tanev is still there as well, you know? Tori Stetcher, I mean, we're going down the list here a little bit. You know, it's not Jamie, just it's not Jordy Ben was making them better, but still, there's to me that defense core in Vancouver is good. I mean, it's it's close between Edmund uh, between uh, you know Colorado and Vancouver on who has a better team defense per se in terms of players, but. I just have a hard time taking it away from Kale McCarr. I really do. So I would, I'm giving it to him. But again, can go either way. I'll sleep perfectly fine at night. That's okay with me. Okay. Let's let's go to the next one. Let's look at the Selkie Trophy. So the Selkie Trophy is awarded to the best defensive forward, which is kind of ironic because it's given to forwards who have a ton of points. <laughs> but anyways, again, there are so many metrics here that you can count in terms of what is considered defensive forward. Now, the nominees are not surprising at all, right? Patrice Bergeron, Sean Couturier, Ryan O'Reilly. Okay? Any three of these players can win it. 
and I would understand. In my mind, is going to Patrice Bergeron just because, I mean, he wins it nonstop, right? He is a staple of the Selkie Trophy, and he has been, you know, the player who, you know, when you think of defensive forwards who play in all situations, who shut down opposing teams, I mean, you think of the line of, you know, that Bergeron plays off with, you know, Marshawn and Pasternak. I mean, that line dominates offensively and defensively. Bergeron plays with Marshawn, you know, the penalty kill. They score shorthanded goals and whatnot. Ryan O'Reilly led, you know, St. Louis Blues in points, and he is, you know, he could repeat it. It wouldn't shock me. I, however, would give it to Sean Couturier. And I just think that a lot of what Philadelphia has done this season is because of Sean Couturier, just the way that he plays. Just, you know, he plays a lot of minutes, okay? He plays a lot of minutes. He plays, he played just shy of 20 minutes per game. And this is a team that's got a lot of different types of players on it, right? Kevin Hayes can play center. Claude Giroux can play center if he wanted to. Now Giroux's moved to the wing. Kevin Hayes is a pretty good, you know, second line center there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good pieces there. I just think Sean Couturier makes everybody better. I really do. You know, he won 59% of his face-offs as well. That's the highest of all those three players who are nominated. I think he does a lot. I think he's grown into that, that role. You know, he was drafted out of junior as a player, I remember, who could have gone first overall. He slipped a little bit. You know, he was that player who was kind of that defensive third, you know, that third-line center, didn't break out, and all of a sudden, you know, here he is, and he starts getting points. Okay, He starts to rack up the points now. And, you know, he... The last two seasons, he had 76 points. You know, he was all right. He was about a 40-point player. You know, he had 34, 2016, 2017. All of a sudden, he scores 31 goals the next season, 33 the next. Could he have hit 70-plus points again? I don't think so. Right? He probably would have fallen short. But this is a guy to me who, if if I'm giving it out, not that I want to see New Blood win it, but I kind of do. <laughs> I kind of do. Again, I would have no problem with giving it back to Ryan O'Reilly. He is, you know, he, he definitely is one of the better players, you know, all around. Same thing with Patrice Bergeron. But to me, I'm giving that vote to Sean Couturier. He is he has made himself better. This is a guy who, you know, winning when, when you're winning almost 60% of your faceoffs and you're playing with the best and you're going up against the best, just kind of seems hard to say no to him. So that's that's who I would give it to. But again, I would be shocked if it goes the other way. Next, let's keep rolling here. The Vezina Trophy. Yes. Now the Vezina Trophy is awarded to the best goalie. Now if you're looking at just pure stats here, which again, I'm assuming that's how people are going to vote, right? They're going to give it to Tuka Rask, who was nominated here. So Tuka Rask, Andre Vasilevsky, Connor Hellebuck. Now, I'm not giving it to Tuka Rask. I'm not because I can't give it to a goalie, okay? Who, A, this is, as much as it's an individual award, okay? It's a team award as well. Now, the Boston Bruins are a much better team than, let's say, the Winnipeg Jets. and I mean, they're slightly better than the Lightning, I guess, right? But Yaroslav Halak played a huge role, okay, in what goes on. He does. And, as again, I don't want to take too much away from Tukaras because he is pretty good, okay? He did. He was 26-8 and eight this season, 26-8-6, and six, which is really, really good. But he played 41 games. On a really good team. I expect some good numbers out of you, man. I do. Hit a 2.12 goals against average, 9.29 save percentage. He's got the numbers, right? Those quote-unquote numbers. That helps you win. If you're using save percentage and goals against average to determine who's winning the Vezina Trophy, hey, apparently he's got it. To me, the 41 games is not enough. It's not enough. It's not. Yaroslav Alak is pretty good, too. He was 18-6-6. He played 31 games. He played 10 less games than Halak. 
Alak was good too. Two two point three nine goals against average, nine nineteen save percentage. Maybe that's the you know the team effect. And again, they're pretty good. Andre Vasilevsky was pretty good too, but I expect him to be good on a team. Even then, you know, it was two point five six goals against average, pretty up there. He still had thirty five wins, fourteen losses, three losses in overtime. So if you're using wins as a way to calculate if a goal is good or not, he's got the numbers right. To me, the only player, the only goalie there who should be winning it of those three that are nominated. It's Connor Hellebuck. Connor Hellebuck played 58 games, okay? His 31, 21, and 5 record, you know, it's average, right? I mean, average. It is what it is, right? 2.57 goals against average. He's right there with, you know, Vasilevsky. Save percentage is a little higher because obviously he faced more shots. Played more games as well. uh, 9.22 save percentage. Here's the part why I'm giving it, though, to Connor Hellebuck, okay? Because if you can name the Jets' defense, there's six regulars, quote-unquote, defensemen right now, you're a genius. Because I couldn't, by the way. I had to look them up. I went on daily face-off, and I had to find the six defensemen that they had as of July 13th, by the way. And this, these defensemen were in and out of the lineup, okay? They did not have a healthy defense for the longest period of time. There were so many players coming in and out, okay? I'm going to name you the six that Daily Faceoff has, and I'm assuming this is as close to healthy as it can be, okay? Josh Morrissey, Dylan DeMello, Dmitry Kulikov, Neil Pionk, Nathan Bollier, and Tucker Pullman, okay? That's your six on any given night, or when healthy, I guess, that can play. That's your defense in front of you. Boy, it must be tough. There's not one defenseman on that blue line that is elite they're about average and there's a couple of them there who are below average okay they're not that great the, the the winnipeg jets as a team they're an okay team right their top six is good i think their bottom six struggles a lot okay this is a team that relied on their goalie a lot to win games that's why he has a lot of losses right 21 losses is a lot but when you look at it with that, with the defense that was in Winnipeg and the garbage going on there, for him to have 31 wins and a respectable save percentage, and he had six shutouts, come on, man. How do you not give it to him? How do you not give it to Connor Hellebuck? He is the only three. He's, he, he's the only goalie of those you know three. Who I look at and said, if I took you away from your team, you would probably that team would struggle. Okay, if I took Tuka Rask out and Yaroslav Halak was there, I think the Bruins are decent. I really do. Same thing if I take out Andre Vasilevsky, right? I don't think it. I mean, it would definitely hurt, right? It would hurt the team. But do I think Tampa Bay wins games? Look. Can say what you want about Curtis McElhaney, but I think he would be able to somewhat survive. If you take out Connor Hellebuck from the Winnipeg Jets, Laurent Brossois isn't stopping nothing. That team is not even close to being competitive. Nowhere near. In my book, Connor Hellebuck gets it. But Tugaras is going to win it because we're going to use wins and all those stupid stats to give it to him. Hey, it is what it is, but that's how I see this. Let's keep moving here, okay? Jack Adams Award, yes. Coach of the Year, Bruce Cassidy, John Tortorella, Alain Vigneault. No offense to Bruce Cassidy, no offense to Alain Vigneault, but if you do not give it to John Tortorella, rant aside, (laughs) his comments and rants and personality aside, if you do not give it to John Tortorella, you've banged your head somewhere. You, You literally have. You... The... The Columbus Blue Jackets are a quote-unquote playoff team, okay? It's it's astounding to see what this team was able to do despite every single injury that they had to deal with. This team was banged up. Not a little bit, but a lot. There are so, like now they're healthy. I can't wait to see by the way how this Columbus team, what they can do when healthy. I can't wait. But again, this team had players in and out of the lineup all season. They couldn't stay healthy. 
the Penguins and the Blue Jackets couldn't stay healthy. Couldn't. At this point, the hospital in Columbus should have just had a section for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like a just a whole ward for them. Just with how many players were coming in and out of there. It seemed like when one player got healthy, the other one got hurt. Never stopped. Players missed massive amount of time. And yet, here they are. They're a playoff team, okay? In the Metropolitan Division, seven teams in the Metropolitan Division made the quote-unquote here playoffs. Only the Devils didn't make it, okay? They were tied with the Carolina Hurricanes in points. They had 81. They had 33 regulation wins, same thing, okay? They had one more point than the New York Islanders, two more points than the New York Rangers. Five short of the Penguins. Which again, Penguins did well too. I'm just, I can't wrap my mind around it being anybody else. Do I expect the Bruins to be good? Yes, I do. I know the Bruins finished, you know, top in the league. No team had more points than them. Fine. I expect the Bruins to be good. The Lightning finished second in the Atlantic Division. They were also pretty good. Not shocking here. The Blue Jackets, with what with what they were able to accomplish with the players that they had and the system that they play, that is all John Tortorella coming up with the plan. The players executed, yes, but that is John Tortorella. This, like, that's his trophy. If it's anybody else, it's a riot. It has to be his trophy. They should just put his name on it right now. Don't even announce it. Just, you know, d- 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 give it to him now. D- d- just... Even before, whenever the awards happen in person or whatnot or online, it doesn't matter. Just give it to John now. Say, hey, John, this is yours. You've won it. Don't even wait. Give it to him now. He deserves it. I'm just saying. Give it to him. It's his award. Let's keep going here, okay? Um, the Ted Lindsay Award. So that's the most valuable player as voted by the players, okay? Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, and Tommy Panarin are there. Personally, I'm not going to spend too much time here. The players are going to vote probably Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon. I think Panarin could win it here again. But I just feel like one of those, either Dreisaitl or McKinnon takes it, players like that. And, you know, that's fine. Uh, The Lady Bing Memorial Trophy. Okay. Uh, Nathan McKinnon, Austin Matthews, Ryan O'Reilly is there. I can see it going to Nathan McKinnon. I really can. Or Ryan O'Reilly. I think, you know, Matthews is a long shot there. But I can see Nathan McKinnon winning this award. Or again, Ryan O'Reilly. Those are two players. You know, I mean, McKinnon doesn't take penalties. Doesn't run his mouth. Doesn't just kind of one of those players just gets his nose dirty in his things, right? So, again, wouldn't shock me here. Uh, Last trophy we're going to talk about here is the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy, okay? For dedication to the game. Now, any three of these players can win it. They all deserve it, by the way. There's no wrong here. Stefan Johns, Oscar Lindblom, Lindblom, Bobby Ryan. Okay. With what Oscar Lindblom had to go through with the cancer and everything, I mean, how do you not feel for this kid? How do you not feel for him? Overcoming it and everything, he's been cleared of his cancer. I mean, he's in remit like what a story, right? And then when you look at Bobby Ryan and everything that he had to battle with alcoholism during the season, removing himself, getting the help, coming back, still, I mean, you know, people knock on Bobby Ryan because of the money that he makes and whatnot and the contract, but this is a guy who's, you know, he's on a team that, you know, senators are nothing really. He shows up, he works, he, you know, he's... The story behind his life, if you don't know about his life and everything, just, you know. And again, with Stephen Johns and everything with him, like I said, there's no there's no wrong pick here. There is none. You can go to any of them. I feel like the story's going to go, you know, the, the strings pull a little bit to Oscar Limblom. But again, you could give it to Bobby Ryan and I wouldn't feel sad. All three of these players, by the way, deserve to win this trophy. They, they should each get one. They should share it, you know, one third each in my mind. But again, like, like I said, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pick a winner here just because I think every single one deserves it. And it doesn't matter which one. They're all great stories. And it's amazing to see these players overcome their difficulties 
and still, I mean, are they, you know, exceptional players? Are are they elite? No, but they're here, man. That they've made it to the NHL despite all the obstacles in front of them, and despite how everything has gone. Whether it was you know this season with Limblom and the cancer was Bobby Ryan and his entire life going on, like all three of these players deserve it, and I would give one to each of them. So, like I said, to me, I'm not worried about. You know who wins this award and whatnot, but you know, shout out to all three of those players for overcoming what they've had to overcome, for being here, for being good hockey players, for setting an example and showing that you know they are literally what it is—the dedication to hockey and wanting to be here and getting it done. And like I said, just there's no wrong choice here, absolutely not. So shout out to all three of those players. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it there. There are some other trophies, you know, that are going to be handed out or whatnot, but it doesn't matter. They're already, pro, you know, won and whatnot. For example, the Rocket Richard trophy for, for the most goals in the season is going to go to Alex Ovechkin and David Pasternak. They both led the league in goals. So yeah, um, that is that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for following at Slapshot Podcast. If you do on Twitter, that's where you can find the podcast and everything. Uh, make sure to subscribe and like and rate the podcast on your favorite platforms. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. Um, it's on Stitcher. You can find it on Podbean. Just go YouTube as well. Just go wherever you listen, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate it. You can follow me on Twitter at FuzzyChris91. If you got questions, things you want to see, things you want me to hear me talk about, as always, you can you know slide into the DM. Let me know. If you hate the podcast, you can tell me as well. It's fine. <laughs> I accept all hate mail as well. Um, so, yeah, hopefully the next time we talk to each other will be just before the NHL season starts. Um, NHL DFS is going to come back slowly. I'm excited for that. So maybe a couple of next podcast we'll look at some nhl dfs if not we'll break down maybe oh no we're not going to break down on the podcast i'm going to have my breakdowns of each round of the qualifying rounds for the nhl playoffs up soon i'm going to get to that before august 1st obviously so make sure you keep your eyes peeled for that and uh, yeah as always stay safe wash your hands wear your mask we will talk to each other soon bye bye